Everybody, welcome to Lost Fuller's Church. So glad that you choose to join us each Sunday. And if this is your first time, welcome. And we are in the middle of a sermon series. It's entitled Abraham and Us. And what we're looking at is Abraham and his descendants are quite interesting. Uh, last week I mentioned that typically when you have this, this kind of ancestor, you think this is going to be a model family. And this family is far from it. Uh, the drama that goes on in this family is is in some ways comical. In other ways, it's like, oh man, I have seen this. But honestly, Abraham and his descendants, especially when we get to Jacob, man, we see stuff that we go, wow. I think our family drama today pales in comparison to the things that Jacob and his family put themselves through in a lot of ways. And, and so today we're going to look at this family drama and then also the struggle uh, that Jacob has with God. Uh, really, he is wrestling with God. But we're going to jump right into it. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 30. Remember last week, uh, the drama in, in Jacob getting married. He wanted to marry Rachel, the younger daughter, who was beautiful. And instead, after seven years of work, his father-in-law, Laban, gives him Leah. And he didn't want Leah. He wanted Rachel, but he married Leah, and seven years later, he got Rachel. So now he has two wives, and they are sisters, and there's not a lot of family love happening between these two sisters, especially when it comes to having children. And, and so this week, we're going to be, we're going to start off looking at this, well, child wars is what I would call it. This is like a competition to see who's going to have the most kids. I want to read to you starting in Genesis chapter 30. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God? Who has kept you from having children? Then she said, here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. So you can see here that Rachel is quite disturbed about not having children. And in that day and time, that was the pride and joy of a wife, is to give her husband children, and that gave you a little more clout. And so Rachel gives, gives Jacob her servant, and she claims those kids as her own. And so Bilhah has Dan and Naphtali. And, and so they have these two kids. And, and basically, Rachel at this point says she's had this struggle, but now she's one. That's literally what she says. And now I am somebody. But uh, Leah is a little bit upset because now she's not having children. So she does the same thing. She takes her servant, Zilpah, and Zilpah also has two children with Jacob. And so these numbers begin to grow. And, and then after that, Leah becomes pregnant two more times and has two more before finally Rachel has Jacob's 11th child, who is Joseph. And we're going to learn more about Joseph in the coming weeks. But, but finally, Rachel has her own child. And then later in life, she has Benjamin, and she actually dies during childbirth. But those are the 12 sons of Jacob. And the child wars, the, the women were battling against each other. But in the end, 
these 12 children are basically the 12 tribes of Israel that you hear about today. Now, uh, but not only is there some child wars going on, there's some family wars going on. You remember Jacob is living now with Laban, his uncle, and he's married his two daughters. And now he's got these sons who aren't super fond of Jacob. So after Joseph is born, he goes to Laban, his uncle, and says, I would like to move away back to my own country. And Laban says, oh no, stay here. I'm, I've become wealthier since you've been here. And he says, tells Jacob, I'll pay you wages, basically, to stay here and continue to work for him. But Jacob doesn't like this. He wants to be out on his own. So he, he basically strikes a deal with Laban. And it's a very complicated plan. But basically, they take the speckled or the streaked sheep one way, and he keeps the, the solid colored ones. But in the process of doing this, when people aren't watching, basically Jacob is taking the stronger goats and the stronger sheep, and he's mating them and keeping them for himself. And in that way, over time, he grows very rich. In fact, he grows richer than Laban does uh, because he's kind of deceiving him behind, behind his back. And pretty soon, the sons begin to catch on to this. Uh, they have nothing but bad things to say about Jacob. Laban begins to turn against his son-in-law and his nephew, and Jacob has to run. So there's, there's family drama going on. So now Jacob is on the run. Again, I just want to read to you from Genesis 31. Jacob heard what Laban's sons were saying. Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all his wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers, to your relatives, and I will be with you. Uh, so here, Jacob, is. it's time to go. Uh, uh, the brothers don't like him, and Laban has changed his attitude. So, so basically, he goes to his wives and says, guys, we need to go. I've worked very hard for your father. He kind of defends himself. Now, what's interesting is the his wives, who are Laban's daughters, uh, they don't seem to be super bothered by it. They, they don't think that their dad's treated them right. They say, we have no inheritance from him. He's not watching out for us. So let's go. Let's take what we can get and go. And so they literally, they begin to take things and get ready to leave. Uh, again, I want to read to you beginning in verse 17 of Genesis 31. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him, along with all the goods he had accumulated. And he's heading back to his homeland. Then it says, when Laban has gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, crossed the Euphrates River, and he headed for the hill country of Gilead. So basically, there's no love loss here. They part ways, but not really part ways. Jacob just runs. There's trouble and he runs. It reminds me a little bit, it, there's trouble back in his homeland, if you remember, after he deceived Esau, after he deceived his dad. He ran from that instance too. Esau wanted to kill him. So here, Jacob again, he is on 
around. He's running for the hills, it says. But Laban finds out he's gone, and he is not happy, and he is on the chase. So he's chasing Jacob down. Imagine this family drama. He's on the run, running for the hills. Laban, the uncle, uh, the, the father-in-law right behind him. And, and when Laban catches him, actually God warns Laban in a dream to be careful, to not do anything rash, to, to work things out. So in the end, Jacob and Laban, they get together. And basically Laban's like, you know, these are my grandkids and my daughters and and I want this to be peace so they they make a covenant really a peaceful covenant not necessarily to protect each other but more for peace and they part ways and, and so now uh, that family drama is kind of over and we find new family drama so he's run from Laban and now all of a sudden guess who comes back on the scene but Esau and now Esau is within range. They know where he's at. And here Jacob's gone. I just got rid of one problem, but this is a bigger problem. Because if you remember, he stole the birthright and Esau wanted to kill him. And that's all Jacob knows at this point. So Jacob sends messengers ahead to Esau to basically say, hey, uh, my master Jacob is here, and man, he just wants to give you these gifts, and, and he wants to, to show you um, his, his gratitude towards you as his brother. Well, the only response they get is that Esau is on his way to meet Jacob with 400 men. That's the response that comes back to Jacob. So Jacob, at this point, is thinking, I'm in trouble. I, either I have to fight a war, I have to run again, or I'm going to be killed. That's, that's all that he can do. So I want to read to you again in Genesis 32. This is what it says. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. So basically, he's separating his family, separating everything. So Jacob can kill these people, slaughter these people. The other ones can get away. He's, he's trying to figure out how he can escape with as much as possible. Uh, but as he's doing this, he stops and he prays. And basically in Genesis 32, he's praying to remind God of this covenant that he made with him. You remember last week he had the, the dream of the stairway to heaven. And God was saying, you come back to this spot. And this is where I want you. This is your promised land. And so here's what it says. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. <laughs> you hear what, what Jacob's saying? Oh, God, don't you remember telling me to come here? And now I'm going to die. What is happening? So he continues his prayer. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said I will surely make you prosper. And you will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He's saying, God, don't you remember what you told me? I don't want to die. 
right now. You told me to come here. And he's basically saying, God, what do I do now? He, he's wanting God's help. Well, he doesn't necessarily get an answer, but he begins his typical scheming and trying to figure out how he can get out of this mess. And so basically he sets up his servants and his his family and his belongings in, in waves. And each wave would come to meet Esau. Esau and his 400 men are coming and a wave would come and they would present Esau with gifts and then that wave would go. Another wave would come and they'd present Esau with all these gifts. And what's, what's interesting is it's like the more, the more waves that come, it's like he's hoping it's going to calm Esau down. Maybe he won't be quite as angry or maybe he'll kill them off before he even gets, gets to, to Jacob. And by the way, each of these waves would say, and Jacob's coming. Yeah, Jacob's right behind us. And, and so with the anticipation, Esau's like, oh, the next group. Uh, no, the next group, the next group. You kind of see the scheme that Jacob has set up here. He's kind of made it into a game, trying to avoid Esau as long as possible. When night comes on that day, he takes his own family and he sends them ahead. Now get this, he sends them ahead and he stays behind. And you have to ask, what, what man does that, right? Now I don't know why he stays behind. Obviously I, I don't know exactly why. But Jacob's run from everything, hasn't he? I mean, he, he, every time there's trouble, he's out of there. And, and once again, here he is. He's doing everything he can to, to knock Esau off his scent. And, and I believe there's probably part of him that night that wanted to run, that wanted to get out of there. It's like, send them on. I'll start over someplace else, but I'm not going to die now. And that night, as he's sleeping, he has a wrestling match or a struggle with with God himself or an angel of God. And I don't know if you've ever wrestled, but when you wrestle with somebody, it is one of the most strenuous things you can do because you're trying to defeat that person. That person's trying to defeat you and everything you do, they're trying to counteract and you're using every muscle in your body and it is tiring and it is overwhelming. And it says they struggled they wrestled all night long and so here this picture of Jacob this man that's been a deceiver he's been a cheat he's been he's been conniving his whole life and now here he is at this crossroad where man he goes on to meet his brother who wants him dead or he runs and tries to save his own life what's the right thing to do well I believe in this wrestling match, God is saying, you go. You go do what's right. You face your brother. Now's not the time to run. And he, and Jacob is struggling. He's in this, this battle. And, and it, it happens at a place called Jabuk. And Jabuk literally means a lonely, quiet, desperate place. Not a good place. It's dark and it's lonely. And, and that's where he's struggling. I, I want to read to you what it says in Genesis 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford 
of Jabuk. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled him with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. This, this is this picture of, I think, something we've all faced, right? We don't want to go do. Maybe it's what we know is right. Maybe, maybe it's what God has, has called us to do. And here we're going, I can't do it. And we're in this, this dark place, this, this place where we feel alone. And in this desperation, we wrestle, we struggle with God. And really, that's what he's doing. Here's a man that, that has been tricking people and running from people his whole life. And now for the first time, he's going to have to face someone face to face. And he doesn't want to do it. In this moment, he is struggling with God. And they struggle all night long. And, and, and then this man, basically, he touches his hip. He, he wounds Jacob. And so now Jacob has this, this injury and, and then after that, Jacob replies, and he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked, asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. This angel, the Lord, or God himself, whoever it is, is wrestling with Jacob. He injures Jacob. But Jacob won't give up. He is, he is there and he says, okay, I'm injured now. At least bless me. I won't let you go until you bless me. And so in this, this place, this, this desperate, alone place, Jacob is injured and blessed in the same event. And I look at that and I think, how interesting. How many times have we gone through something in our lives that is so painful where we would never want to go through it again because it hurts us it injures us it leaves us wounded mentally physically spiritually but at the same time we walk away from it blessed we walk away from it a better person because we've gone through the struggle. Believe me, there's lots of struggles in my life that you couldn't pay me enough money to go back and walk through them again. But now, on this side of it, I can look back and go, oh man, that hurt. But you know what? I'm a better person today. I'm a stronger person today because I faced that struggle. That's the struggle that Jacob faced as he struggled with God. And what is so interesting to me is you hear about the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, but we're never really told that the name means to wrestle with God. That's the name of Israel. Israel literally means to wrestle with God or struggle with God. And then you look at the history of the Israelite people and of Jacob and, and Isaac and Abraham, and you go, oh, that makes sense, right? Because my whole life I've been told, no, you don't, you don't struggle with God. You don't wrestle with God. You just have faith. You, we're told to be like Noah. You're told and boom, you just do it. It's this, 
they're black and white, right? But that's not reality. That's not the reality we live in. The reality we live in is we all do struggle with God. Maybe he's called us to do something. Maybe we've lost a loved one. Maybe we're in the midst of depression or, or these anxious moments, and we struggle. And I believe what this is telling us by changing his name from Jacob to Israel, I think what God is saying, it's okay. It's okay to wrestle with me. It's okay to struggle with me. And, and, and maybe we may get injured in the process. But in the end, we're going to walk away from that stronger and better. And I believe more in love with the God that created us. When we go to Genesis chapter 33, we find that Jacob, the next day, with his limp and all, he goes to meet his brother Esau. And it happens to be a good meeting. Esau has been blessed. He is he is rich, and Jacob is rich, and Esau's not upset, although he probably could be. He's not upset, and he just wants to be brothers again. In fact, Esau wants to join with him, and, and Jacob has to say, no, I, I have to go this way, and you have to go that way, but they bless each other, and, and in this, Jacob has peace. And I believe this struggle with God, this interaction with his brother, changed who Jacob was. It changed him, and now he is Israel. I believe Jacob walks away from this a, a new man. He, he, he was scared of his brother. He was scared of this all-night match. But in the end, he is blessed, and he walks away a new man. He'll never forget that place, right? That struggle in that place but he doesn't stay there. And I think that is the key to all this. He moves on to where God has called him to go. I, I want to read to you an excerpt that I read this week. And it says, When daybreak comes and Jacob is no longer Jacob, the deceiver and the supplanter, he has been renamed and reborn. He is now Israel, the one who struggles with and prevails against God. Jacob does not defeat God. He prevails. And what's interesting is that place was named Jabuk, which means alone in a dark place. But when Jacob leaves, he renames it Penel, which means the face of God. In other words, Jacob says, it says Jacob renamed the place Penel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Penel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Think of this moment in his life. It's a life-changing moment. And I believe we've all had those. I, I, I believe we have those moments where we come face-to-face -face with the God that created us. And it may be a struggle. It may be a, a dark, deep place. But in the, way, in the end, we may walk away limping, but we walk away blessed. We walk away a new person because of that struggle. And that's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to walk on to where he's called us to be.